hurt and suffering. But inundated with the pain I hear from my fellow congregational members, the suffering I see in the world, the brutality that exists, I've been angry. I'm hurt. I'm hurting right alongside many of you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul gives us all a very clear message. I'm going to read it to you now. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have gifts of prophecy and I can fathom everything in this world, all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and I have the faith that can move a mountain, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I give over my body to hardships, that I boast. But do not have love, I gain nothing. What is love? It is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. And listen to me, folks. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Keep reading. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the childish ways behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I become fully known. Now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. My fellow Christians, I need you to hear me. I need you to hear me from the beginning to the end. Don't sound bite me. You can cast your judgment when I'm done. Don't dismiss part of what I'm saying. Don't let your pain, your hurt, your heart allow what I'm about to say to get between you and me. Before I start my sermon, you need to know something. I 
If you know me, you know I love you. If you don't know me, you don't know me. And I don't know you. You need to know that what I'm about to say comes from the heart. That what I'm about to say hopefully comes from the Bible. I want to pray with you together. The Lord's Prayer. Hopefully you're going to see that on your screen. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our, our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. And forgive us our trespasses the same way we forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, Father, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you need to know, back in March when we started this pandemic, and things transitioned at this church. The ministry team sat down and we prayed together and we talked together and we looked ahead at what was coming from our eyes to see the future as best we could of what our church needed to hear. And we did that by looking at the past and seeing where our church had failed and where our church had struggled. We looked at the diversity of our church, the fact that the blessing of the diversity, the blessing that we have young, that we have old, that we have male and female, black, brown, white, Asian. We have every race. And it's a blessing. And we sat down and we talked and we decided that the thing we needed to do was stick with the vision God had gave us. And the vision that God had been given us was out of Ephesians 4. And he talks about how, and we're going to get to that scripture later, he talks about how we're diverse, we're not the same, we're varied people. But we're seeking unity in the faith. And the way that we seek that here, the way that we've been doing that here is by trying to understand this concept of loving God and loving others we call be the end. That we're in the middle, that God we love and others we love. And that's the middle we're going to be in because we're called to do the hard things in life. We're called to do the difficult things in life. And so in March, we plan this sermon series all the way up till today. And last week's sermon on reconciliation was planned in March. As though God knew what he was doing. We didn't decide on that sermon last week because of the events. We decided on that sermon because God had been preparing us for what was coming. And today, today's sermon is about what Christians do in culture. And I say in culture because we're supposed to be in culture and not of culture. We're supposed to go into our culture with the love of God. We can't put our heads in the sand and act like nothing's going on.
The book of Peter, and you don't see this on your screen because I didn't put it in the slides, but it says this. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that they may malign you as evildoers. They may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. You gotta be visible. talked to a lot of people this week I've been all over the internet like many of you have I listen to as many sources from as many sides as possible I talk to my brothers and sisters at this church I talk to my parents I talk to my brothers and sisters biologically I talk to my neighbors, I talk to as many people as possible and I listen, I sit in counseling sessions this week and I listen For those of you who don't know, I have degrees in ministry and counseling, and I have them for a reason, because psychology and theology try to run opposite of each other. They try to rip each other apart. Science tries to tear the church down and the Bible down, and sometimes the Bible tries to do the same thing to science. I'm called to reconcile that, to not let that be a division amongst our people. This week, though, this week we reconcile something else. Matthew 19, 13. Jesus has been doing ministry. He's been working with all sorts of people groups. It's been going on a while. He's got his disciples around him. His disciples that we know later on are still going to want to wage war against other humans. We know that right as Jesus goes to the cross, that Peter is going to try to take up the sword and destroy the adversary, destroy the enemy, cut the ear off the soldier that's trying to take, to take the oppressor and oppress. We know that's coming. And in the middle of all of the things that could be going on in Jesus' life, in the middle of the Roman Empire, in the middle of not aligning with the Jewish thought of the day, but being a teacher in the law, in, a, in the middle of a, a group of people that hated so much Samaritans, people of mixed race, in a culture where voting happened all the time, where people were elected to office. Matthew 19, 13. Then the people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Now, we're going to pause for a second because you need to understand something. You can't imagine that in our culture today. You can't imagine that in our culture today because our culture looks at kids as little gods. We serve them. We do. That's how we see our children. We care more about our children than about God a lot of times. Amen? You don't want to amen it, but it's true. So we can't even imagine this scenario right here. Well, I'm going to try to get your brain there for just a second. But you got to understand something. Kids back then weren't anything until they became something. 
And the type of kids that are coming to Jesus right now, we know a little bit about them. And you're going, Bo, there ain't nothing else about them. I go, well, you ain't paying attention to scripture. Read on. Jesus says this in verse 14. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now, has Jesus said that before? Has that been in the scripture anywhere before? Well, actually it has. If you go back to his original sermon in Matthew chapter 5, he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, is Jesus lying? Is he saying only poor people get to be in heaven at that point? No. He's telling you that in that moment, those kids who are coming there that are marginalized by society who are being rejected by the disciples at that point because they still can't see what Jesus is going to do. They're important. Now, are they more important than all the other Christians out there? No. But they don't feel important. They don't feel a part of. They're not in the conversations. They're not a part of the discussions because they're just kids. Poor in spirit. This passage, this passage is what compelled me into youth ministry. Because as a kid, I meant nothing in the church. No one asked my opinion, they told. No one cared my thoughts. And you've seen it out there online. Some kids say some really amazing things. Kids get marginalized. Kids, lives matter. Ain't gonna argue with that, are you? But as soon as somebody says the phrase black lives matter, you feel pain. Why? I'm gonna tell you why you feel pain when you hear that. Because you wanna say all lives matter. And if you're honest, like I'm about to be honest with you, all lives do not matter. All lives do not matter. Did Osama bin Laden's life matter? Does Trump's life matter? Does Candace Owens' life matter? Do the hundreds of people that have died this past week in this country's lives matter? Do the thousands of people overseas who are refugees in Syria, do their lives matter? Does the terrorists' lives matter? Does the rapist life matter? Does the other hurt people in this world who do very horrible things, do their lives matter to you? No, they don't. You don't talk about them. You don't come in here and cry about them. And you try to hide behind a phrase like all lives matter. Do aborted babies' lives matter? Can't hide behind that phrase, folks. The world has a spiritual problem. And the world is trying to solve that problem with physical solutions. Racism still exists. The world does not know God. And if you do not know God, you cannot know love. And if you cannot know love, then all you can know is to like and love people like you. That is racism. 
When you hear somebody say black lives matter, black lives matter. Byron's life matters. BJ's life matters. Nick's life matters. Jabari's life matters. Crystal's life matters. I can go through everybody in our church. Barbara's life matters. Zeke's life matters. James and Jordan, who live down the street from me, their life matters. The other Zeke who lives down the street from me, his life matters. Rodney, who lives across the street from me, his life matters. My kids know their life matters to me. But do those other people know that? You see, as the world is out there right now trying to solve their problems with fleshly solutions, they will fail. They always fail. This is why it keeps coming up over and over and over again. Heart problems cannot be solved with flesh solutions. If you have love, if you don't have love, you have nothing. Do you believe the scripture? When you're on Facebook and you're posting your wisdom and your thoughts about this movement or that movement or this side or that side, are you doing that in love? Are you communicating that love in that post? You have nothing Ephesians 2 says this, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. This is the time to do good works. I'm telling you in March, when we were planning this stuff, we weren't thinking this. We weren't sitting where we are today when we were planning, but God was planning. He was setting us up to do the good works. It's our opportunity to do the good works. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge. As a guy locked up in jail right now, for God, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit. By being bound to peace. There is only one body. And that's another problem we got here in the U.S. Because we don't think that. We don't believe that. We don't act that. We don't like something somebody does. Go to the church down the road. That's not one body thinking. There's one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, and when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Each of us has been given grace, apportioned by Christ. And this is what it says. When God ascended to high, he took captives with him, and he gave gifts to his people. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave us. He gave us as a church. He gave us as a church. He says, some apostles, people to guide us, direct us, to help us understand what he was talking about. Some prophets, the ones that say, hey, what's coming? What you're doing and what's coming? It's not going to work out for you. What you're doing, what's coming, it's going to be great. People to provide us hope and also to chastise us when we're headed down the wrong path. The evangelists, those who, who can reach into the heart of others and find that God spot and pull it out. 
and show them God's love. The pastors, the comforters, the ones that, that, that in times of despair, in times of loss, in times of death, I don't go to a funeral and tell people, yeah, I can't believe people do this. I don't go to a funeral and tell people, well, that guy screwed up. That's why he's dead. If, if I got a call and it said, come do George Floyd's funeral, I'd be sad. I am sad. I'm not going to go to his funeral and say, well, here's all the ways he screwed up in life. I'm going to go to his funeral and I'm going to say, man, I am sorry for his loss. I, I wonder what God was doing with him. I wonder what God's plan was for him. How God was going to redeem him and was redeeming him to save people that can't hear my voice. Because they're not in a place where they can listen to my skin color talk. Or they're not in a place where they can listen to my gender talk. He gave us pastors to love us to be with us in times of trial, to sit next to us in our pain and tell us we are loved. And he gave us teachers. And teachers equip us. Teachers help us know what questions to ask. They help us to see diverse sides. They help us to understand the broader thing of what's going on because, guys, we can't understand it all. It's too complicated. But he didn't do that nothing. He didn't do that without a purpose. He didn't do that and just say, hey, it says this, he did it to equip his people for works of service. And not just works of service like our world thinks about niceties and doing something nice for this or something nice for that, but works of service designed to build the body of Christ up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and the fullness of Christ. And at that point, guys, when we get there, and we're not there, I'm not there. I can't speak for all of you, but I can't speak for me. I am not fully there. When, if I were to say the phrase, all lives matter, I can honestly tell you I'm lying. I don't know 8 billion people. And my heart is not fully soft to all of them. There are some enemies out there that in my heart, it wouldn't bother me if they were dead. And that's my heart problem. Verse 14. Then, then, when the church is together, when the church is connected, when the church is in relationship, when that diverse community has learned how to love within itself, has learned how to bless within itself, has learned how to be inclusive within itself, then we will no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love. And, and I want to be clear about this speaking here. This speaking right here, we'll speak the truth in love, comes through our works of service and sometimes through our mouth. We will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. And from the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Not builds itself up. Builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Can you not see, folks, how futile thinking exists? Can you not see, folks, how Satan has us all in our pain, in our suffering, in our hurt, distracting us from the love of God, pushing us into sides, telling us you need to go over to the flesh because all that matters in this world is life, or, or you need to go over to God and take control of everything. You cannot live, guys. I cannot live in that mentality anymore. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Folks, people have hard hearts out there. They've been hurt. It's on display for the world to see. Our country's hurts are on display for the world to see. My friend's hurts are on display for the world to see. My hurts right now are on display for the world to see and I will be judged for them. And Paul does not end there. Paul continues in chapter 6, says this. Finally, as he's in prison, as he's locked up, as he's in the middle of suffering, as he's in the middle of suffering, not for the sins that he did in the past, not for killing Christians, not for murdering people who were doing good for God. He's not suffering for those sins. He's suffering for the sin of preaching love of preaching unity, of preaching peoples can come together and they can be one. He's in prison for that. And as he's in prison for that, he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take the stand against whose schemes? People's schemes? Other humans' political schemes? Against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, listen as I have listened, hopefully. Hear these words from Paul. These are Jesus' words. This is Jesus' life as he reaches down and he grabs the woman who's been caught in adultery, as he tells the parables of the Samaritans, as he reaches out for the kids. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's the world's struggle. It can be solved with a bullet. It can be solved with violence. It can be solved if we destroy enough stuff, people's lives will change. It just makes harder hearts for the future. It passes it on to the next generation of pain and suffering so that we can never escape a generational cycle of pain and suffering that we all perpetuate. Because we don't believe what Paul says right here. We don't believe the life of Jesus. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and authorities and the powers of darkness in this world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are being manipulated and not always for bad reasons from a world's perspective, but for horrible reasons in the kingdom. God wants us unified and Satan wants us divided. And we find ourselves on social media buying into it. Paul says this, therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may stand your ground. And after having done everything, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with readiness 
that comes from peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you see all this violent language in there. But when you understand that violent language, what you're seeing is spiritual armor for a spiritual foe. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. I'm sad, guys. I'm hurt. I've had so many sermons running through my head this week. I've talked to so many people in pain, as you probably have as well. I'm hurt that this can, this is the type of stuff that divides God's kingdom. I'm hurt that pandemics, plagues, and violence, pain that hardens hearts will divide the kingdom of God. That's what I hurt for. That injustice and racism that as this country around us rips us apart, that our Christian faith here in the West is so tied to the country that as the country goes, so does Christianity. And that pains me. As Christians, as a pastor, I can't choose a side. As a therapist, when I sit there to help a husband and wife who are struggling or kids who are struggling with the parents, I can't choose a side. We're all trained to know that as soon as we choose a side, we lose our impartiality, we lose the respect of the other side, and we can no longer reconcile. Don't choose sides. Stand in the middle. Be the hand. Hold the tension. My heart was broken as I watched a black police officer pour his heart out on his phone online yesterday. Talking about the pain of seeing his brother George Floyd on the ground being brutalized, the pain that he's felt for years, seeing black people suffer at the hands of police officers. And as a cop, he's talking about the pain of how those cops have hurt his profession that he has worked so hard to try to reconcile, that he's worked his life to try to help bridge the gaps. And he cries. And I cried with him. When you choose a side, you reject good people on both sides. You reject bad people on both sides. You reject love. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You don't have the luxury anymore. I want to tell you one last thing because I've been long-winded today. But it's been the thought that has been rattling around my brain that I can't shake. Some of you may not feel this, but as a pastor, I feel it. I feel the weight. I feel that I take on too much. As a counselor, I've learned how to distance myself, but as a pastor, I can't do it. I just can't. I don't have freedom. Christians 
do not have freedom the way the world talks about freedom. We have freedom in Christ. Not freedom outside of Christ, not freedom from our country, not freedom from the person sitting next to me or the, or the person that's going to hate on me down the street or freedom from the police who are biased against me or, or, or freedom from school or freedom from anything in this world. We don't have freedom as Christians. We have freedom in Christ. And when you stay in Christ, guys, I'm going to be honest, it's hard on the front end, but that's where you're going to find the joy. When you reconcile the irreconcilable, when you bridge that which seems so broken to the world that they would rather push them in a corner, when you bring that love back, when you take the hardened heart and you turn it into hard skin and a soft heart, you got too many people in our faith with thin skin and hard hearts. We got to flip that. I hurt with you, brothers and sisters. I hurt with my black brothers and sisters. And I hurt with all my other brothers and sisters who are hurting alongside of them, who are grieving the pain they feel. And I call you to this. I call you to stand where Christ stood. But I promise you that if you stand there long enough, if you hold your ground long enough, you will die. Kids, as you're listening to this, you may be slightly freaked out. You may be wondering what's going on with Mr. Bo. Why is he so sad? I'm going to tell you why I'm sad, guys, because you got to grow up in this world. Little Nick's kids, who I've loved since their birth, got to grow up in this world. My kids got to grow up in this world. The kids that have been running around this church who are on my mind right now got to grow up in this world, and they got to do the tough work that maybe the generation before us didn't do so well. And the generation before that, and the generation before that, and we got to pay for the sins of our fathers. But we can't get caught up in the solutions of our fathers as though those worked, because they didn't. We've got, we've got to love, and loving is difficult. If you dare say to me, all lives matter, I will challenge you to prove it. I hope we could all get there. I hope that we could be like Christ as we are being executed by someone. Look down and say, God, forgive them. Father God, challenge our hearts. Break our hearts, Father God. Help us to love in the difficulty, to love in the pain, to love our enemy, not love when it's easy, love when it's hard, to not have to feel like we have to have it all right to love, and to not feel... God, tempted to step out of love to find an easy solution that will make us feel better. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that you give us that is the only way we can survive in this world and do what you've called us to do is through your Spirit, God. Thank you for that Spirit, God. Thank you for letting me feel that Spirit when I step so far outside of my own capacity. And I pray that others will do the same, that they will step so far out of their capacity, God, that they will feel your spirit, cover them, challenge them. And I pray that those around them will see love. They will not see anything but love. I pray that this world will look at Christians today, that will look at Christians now and say, I see God's love. I want to know God's love because the way of the world's not working. Father, help us.
Love you and love others. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.